Hello and welcome to Supers on Screen, the superhero movie podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Roth, and today we are going to be talking about the Warner Brothers DC Comics 2011 film, Green Lantern, starring Ryan Reynolds, Blake Lively, Peter Sarsgaard, Mark Strong, Tim Robbins, and the voices of Jeffrey Rush, Michael Clark Duncan, and Clancy Brown, I guess. We've also got Angela Bassett in the mix here. And a bunch of people you haven't heard of. The movie is directed by Martin Campbell. My guests today are Dead Shirt contributor Cameron Diordio. Hello there. And writer Christina Trujillo. Hi. Welcome to the show, you two. Uh, This is going to be an interesting one because this is a mostly loathed film. But I know that at least one person here (laughs) in this sort of room is a fan and so that's going to create some interesting co- interesting conversation. Um, I'd like to talk to each of you, as always, with how you first encountered this film and what your prior experience was with the Green Lantern and mythology. Uh, so, Christina, would you like to begin? How did you first encounter Green Lantern? Um, I saw Green Lantern the first time after I had graduated from my undergrad. It was a summer movie that had come out that year, and a bunch of friends and I had gone to see it. Because we had seen Thor earlier in that year. I had no idea what Green Lantern was. I had never heard of Green Lantern before that movie came out. So everything in the movie was new to me. I had no ideas of who Hal Jordan was or what Green Lanterns were before I went and saw it. So I really liked it. It was a nice break from the other DC movies that had been out, which were very dark. (laughs) How about you, Cam? Where's your Green Lantern background? Okay. Um, I mean, I'm I'm mostly grew up a Marvel guy, but uh, for a long time, Parallax was my all-time favorite villain, and I mean, Hal Jordan's Parallax. So, I mean, it was I came into this strongly suspecting how they were going to handle Parallax, and I was, I guess the phrasing would be not let down, but yeah, I mean, I saw the movie the first time I believe at a drive-in theater, and the same drive-in. Th- I saw X-Men Origins Wolverine in, so there's a lot of Ryan Reynolds-shaped <laughs> memories in that place. That place um, is cursed. Yes. <laughs> I burned it to the ground after that. Um, but, uh, yeah, and so I've got, like, some Green Lantern experience. Hal Jordan and as Parallax was, like, something I held up for a while. Obviously, I didn't read it when it was coming out because I was probably four, but I read it uh, that arc later on. And, uh, I don't know, I this movie, I had issues with it, uh, but I guess we'll get into that later. For me, uh, Green Lantern was my jam. Um, I was reading Green Lantern month month to month for about five or six years before this movie came out. Like this was like my number one, like except for maybe Batman. Green Lantern was my number one comic book mythology. Um, I've been reading it since Volume Three in the Kyle Rayner days. I was a Kyle Rayner fan. For those of you listening who are not well versed in Green Lantern. Um, Hal Jordan, the character, main character in this film, is considered to be the main Green Lantern character for most fans over 20 because he was the, the featured character in the comics for decades. And in the 90s, to shake things up, DC decided that they were going to have Hal Jordan go crazy and start killing people, including most of the Green Lantern Corps, and that a new Green Lantern, who would be the only person in the galaxy who has this power ring that can do anything, would take over the mantle, and that his main nemesis would be Hal Jordan um, as Parallax, under the name Parallax. The three of us all would have driven, would have grown up during that period of time when um, mm-hmm. when Kyle Rayner was the main Green Lantern. So for me, he was Green Lantern, and Hal was 
the villain and then later the dead guy slash Obi-Wan style mentor. But in um, the late 2000s, in the, actually the mid 2000s, there was sort of a reboot of a soft reboot of the series and Hal Jordan came back to become the prime main character and all of the other Green Lanterns who had emerged in the interim became side characters of a sort. And this is this movie is based primarily on the sort of reimagined origins of Green Lantern from the run written by Jeff Johns, who was also a producer on the film. Uh, to give you guys a little bit of background, not you guys, the uh, the view, the uh, co-hosts, but you guys, the listeners, <laughs> the theoretical listeners. Um, the a little summary for this movie is: Irresponsible test pilot Hal Jordan becomes the first human to join the intergalactic police force, the Green Lantern Corps, and must defend the Earth against the cosmic fear entity Parallax. I first saw this movie. I did not see it opening weekend because it didn't look good. And because I'd started to uh, cool off on Green Lantern during this period of time, I guess I'd just gotten out of the summer after summer after undergrad for me as well. I actually forced some friends to see it with me who had seen it already and had already <laughs> suffered this film. But yeah. they knew that I loved Green Lantern in the comics, and I talked them into going with me. And no one walked out of that happy. Uh, they were all pissed at me. I was kind of mad at them <laughs> for letting me do it. I... This movie is such an anomaly because, to me, this was Warner Brothers trying to make a Marvel movie. Because mm-hmm. this yeah. was Green Lantern and Iron Man have often been considered to be on, sort of on the same level uh, with one another. Iron Man on the Marvel side, Green Lantern on the DC side. And uh, it's funny that we did Iron Man on the show last week, so I just watched it. And I'm watching this movie and I'm thinking, man, they really wanted to make Iron Man. Uh, and, and they tried to do everything, quote, right, end quote, um, trying to make things the way Marvel would do it. They put comic book people in charge of the production and the writing of the movie. Uh, Jeff Johns, who's the chief creative officer for DC, was a, a heavy creative hand in this film. They seemed to do so much right. The casting seemed to be good. I mean, we can debate this as we go through the show, but it seemed like so much was going for it. And the final product, this guy's opinion, what a mess. What, what, a, what a boring, unlovable film. But we're here to debate that, so y'all can challenge me on that particular point. Well, I really like that they they totally nailed Hal Jordan being a giant dick for, like, almost all the time. And I'm not saying that, like, as a slight against the movie. That's a positive for the movie, because that is who Hal Jordan is to me. And also, it would be a great job at seeding a start of darkness for if they had the real parallax, but whatever. Since we're, since we're, I'm sorry. Uh, since we're talking, I just want to because we're already talking about this. I want to give the background to the audience because we're already starting to talk about this particular controversy. Um, Parallax is the name that in the '90s Hal Jordan took on when he went crazy, absorbed all the power of the Green Lanterns, and tried to rewrite time and space so that there wouldn't be any bad stuff anymore. Which sounds nice until you realize that he has to kill everyone to do it and remake the universe. Uh, when the reboot happened in, I think, 2005, 2006, um, Parallax became a different character, a weird yellow space energy bug that lived inside of Hal Jordan's soul and corrupted him so that ultimately he wouldn't be responsible for all the people he killed and he could be a superhero again. And then Parallax became a separate character that Hal would have to fight, and there's this deep history between the two of them because one of them used to live inside the other. So... <laughs> It's this little get-out-of-character-development-free card that lives inside of Hal Jordan for a while. <laughs> like, By now, I don't even know if it's still part of the story after New 52 or if they've overwritten that whole thing. 
I don't know. I haven't really been keeping up with all the Green Lantern Splinter books, but I've heard some of them have been pretty good. So for many Green Lantern fans, this whole uh, parallax yellow entity thing, which is sort of used in the film, is is an, an offensive um, sort of um, retcon or uh, cop-out to a decade's worth of Hal Jordan stories that old fans from the Silver Age did not like because it made their favorite hero a villain. Now we'll get back to the... <laughs> sorry. Oh, we'll get back to the movie. No, I, I'm sorry, because I, I interrupted Christina when she was about to say something, because I wanted to get that information out there. No, that's good information to have in the background. And again, as a person who had not had much history on that character, that was something that I, I did not bring into the movie with me when I went to go and see it. So for me, it was a movie about this guy who's trying very, very hard to act like he has no fear and failing miserably at it and being entirely self-destructive and terrible to himself and everyone else around him and almost a little bit like a likable villain until he's handed responsibility and has to get his act together so i didn't mind giant yellow space monster but i i he has some issues for me as well but not i think the same as for someone who knew more about where that character came from I did think it was a bold choice for them to have Hale be so, like, tooly, so quick off the bat, and hold on that for, like, a good amount of time. I think they yeah. were not the, the whole example film. of Iron Man, where they knew they could have a character who was sort of a dick and still hold the audience, <laughs> but the movie's chief problem, from my perspective, is that Hal Jordan is not Tony Stark, and Ryan Reynolds is not Robert Downey Jr., the charisma's not there, and he can't be an asshole and have me still like him in the way that Tony slash Robert Downey Jr. can do. The, it's just he's he's got, like, the, the handsome sort of charm, but he doesn't quite have the confidence, I don't think. I don't think he can sell being an asshole quite as well. And mm-hmm. also, this, he's just not as funny. <laughs> well, it's also... If we're looking at those two characters, not necessarily the two actors, but the two characters, Tony Stark is brilliant, and Tony Stark knows he's brilliant. So whether he's being a jerk in a situation or not, he still knows he's most likely the smartest guy in the room. Hal Jordan, I don't think, has any any illusions that he is brilliant or the smartest guy in the room. I think he comes into a situation feeling, at least based on this movie, the movie character of Hal Jordan would come into a situation feeling like I can be the flashiest person in this room. I can make the best or the biggest impression, but that might not always be a a positive impression. And I don't think it was for a large portion of the movie. <laughs> I know. I think that's a strong point. Um, Hal, as opposed to Tony, who is surrounded by signs of how great he is. He's got this massive business, his inventions that he's made that people want. Um, Hal basically has the following going for him. He's really good looking, and he can fly a plane, we're told. Uh, the one time we see him in a cockpit in this film, he crashes the plane. So, hey, he successfully <laughs> used his partner as a decoy, so there's that going he, for him. Uh, he gets her shot out of the sky. Like, it's a, a test, so it's not real. No one's actually injured, but he essentially got her shot shot out of the sky after breaking the rules of engagement which just 
you don't do that. You really, really don't do that. You especially so, don't do that when your job, your actual job you're being paid to do is to sell these drones to the military and to show how great they are. But he's such a dick that he has to prove that he's better than these than the product they're trying to sell, even at the potential cost of everybody's jobs. Yeah, yeah. He's an adrenaline junkie. And it's not about doing your job well. It's about doing your job in as spectacular a fashion that you can, even if that means you're going to crash and burn, which for most of the movie, that is what his life means. I mean, he almost gets himself killed driving to his nephew's birthday party because he's not watching the road. What a guy. He's not a very happy man. It does seem like we get to know him more. As, as the film goes on, we get to see how more and more of his confidence is bullshit. He is, he talks like he's fearless, but like any human being, he's not truly fearless. Um, which ends up being, I guess, part of the point of the film is that he has to learn to overcome fear. Um, but he also has this, he's got this problem where anytime that he doubts himself vocally to people until the very end, when, when Carol says, no, you can do this, he'll ask, Hey, am I irresponsible? And people will say, yes. And they'll laugh and they'll just, they'll confirm his flaws to him constantly. He, his support system is a very honest one, but maybe, um, and maybe what he needs in the long run, but you know, like like with Iron Man, where he has all of these confirmation that he's great. At, at every turn, everyone's willing to tell Hal what an asshole he is, and it takes him a long time to really catch up to it. Yeah, especially yeah. the Green Lanterns are willing to tell him how much of an asshole he is. Like they spend yeah. how long in a montage just beating the crap out of him? <laughs> Not nearly long enough for my taste. Boom, roasted. It was kind of like a welcome relief in that actually came because the entire time we're with him on earth we as the audience see him continuously continually mess up and we see the people around him continually tell him like you're not you're not doing a good job you are irresponsible you're not being the person that you want to be or that you're projecting that you are and it doesn't really sink into him until aliens tell him that like Something other than an earthly being needs to tell him he's not, he needs to shape up before he can actually do it. Hal is very accepting of all the weird otherworldly stuff that happens around him. Uh, when he first finds the dying uh, Abin Sur on the, on the beach, uh, before he, he, he doesn't hesitate. It speaks to his selflessness and it speaks to that he wants to, he does want to, to help him, but he finds a purple alien crash landed in a weird spaceship. And he doesn't really even take a minute until after Abbott is clearly dead to think, hey, I just found a purple alien in a spaceship. He's more, he, he is thinking, there's a person here that needs my help. Let me see what I can do for him. And that, that is maybe the first moment in the film not involving a precocious child where we see him be a little bit selfless. Yeah, that yeah. is definitely a good seed for his heroism. Sorry, Christina, I cut you off. No, no, um, I... I agree with you. That is a good seed for his heroism. And it's something that comes up again when they're at that cocktail party. And um, I believe his name is Hector, the doctor, who gets yeah. infected by Parallax. So Hector is, at that point, very much in creepy mode. Like, anybody watching it understands that he's should be setting off stranger danger warnings in your mind. And even still, when he's getting picked on by his father, how 
tries very hard to give him some of the spotlight as well and make him seem happy and proud about what he's done. And for all intents and purposes, he only vaguely knows who Hector is. He knows Hector's father, but not really Hector. It seems as if there's some backstory there between those three characters, between Hector, Carol, and Hal. Like, they've mm-hmm. known each other a little. In the comics, Hector and Carol used to date, and then they broke up when she dated Hal for a while. Um, and then all this crazy stuff happened. But here, it does seem like more like maybe they are maybe they all grew up around the base together, but like they're not super close friends. Or he was yeah. like the nerd who they would see and say hi to, but not really hang out with. Like, he's definitely got a chip on his shoulder about not being one of them. Mm-hmm. Even though none of them are, they're not outwardly abusive to him. Yeah. No. His no. father maybe a little. Oh, we, oh his father oh, his, for sure. His, <laughs> his father definitely. Senator Hammond is ably played by Tim Robbins, one of the easiest to hate actors in Hollywood. <laughs> that maybe that's just me. He just ex- just just sweats asshole to me, and it's very <laughs> it's very easy for me to see him as a douchebag and to dislike him. Not that he deserves what ultimately happens to him in the film. But. Yeah. yeah, that was kind of a, a bad end for him. That scene in particular, Carol taking a moment to recognize who Hector is, Hal coming up and talking to them afterwards, uh, the Senator Hammond just being so unkind in front of this whole group of people, it just, I feel like it gave a good, a good background about who these characters were outside of just the persona that we had seen so far. Like, it's the first time that we see that Carol is not only very good at, at her job, but she's also a nice person. And Hal is kind of a jerk, but he's not hes not terrible, you know? Even Hector I feel bad for. Let's talk a little about Hector, because he's a, he's a character I can't ever really decide how I feel about if he's really a, if to what degree he's a victim here and how much he just victimizes himself the mm-hmm. one thing that i am sure about for this character is that peter sarsgaard is really really trying with this part and i think yeah. he really wants to give like a heath ledger as the joker scale performance in this movie he is he is selling his role better than anybody is mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean the material he has just isn't isn't quite as strong and the people he's working with don't have his chops. And so he'll be acting, and he'll seem like he's an entirely other movie. Yeah, I think that one of the main problems is that he doesn't really have that much agency throughout the film. Like, he kind of accidentally stumbles upon Parallax, and then suddenly he just falls into the trope of angry nerd gets back at his dad. So, I don't know, I... I feel like there's definitely a chance for him to have some sort of depth, but I think it's it's missed, at least in my book. It's kind of like if we're looking at these two movies as this is Marvel's attempt to do a... Or, sorry, this is DC's attempt to do a Marvel movie. Compare it to Thor, which came out the same year. You do technically have two villains in both of those movies. You have the Ice Giants and Loki, and then you have uh, Hector and Parallax out in space. The difference is Hector never really has any agency in this movie. Things are done to him, but he doesn't do things. And the one time he tries to do a thing and kidnaps Blake Lively's character, he kidnaps Carol, it ends up in him dying. So 
he never gets to have agency in the movie. That is an excellent point that I had not I had not thought of before, and that he's basically pinball in this movie, and that may be how he feels about his entire life. Um, he definitely strikes me as somebody who doesn't think he has a lot of control because maybe because he's had a powerful father, maybe because he doesn't feel like he has the confidence to to do anything important or to or to really assert himself in life. He makes a comment that like. And this is a very, quote, like, nice guys of OkCupid type thing, which is that, oh, I loved Carol from the moment I saw her, but she could never see me because you were standing in the way, right? Like, he has this whole thing that if, like, if it weren't for all of these, if it weren't, if it weren't for this, this good-looking dude with his square jaw and all these people who have it, who just have it better than me in this department, you know, I would be... Ah, uh, you know, I, I could have everything that I wanted, and I deserve it. And it's he's got like, and that's kind of its own completely different brand of douchebaggery from Hal's. Mm-hmm. In that it's this sort of victim complex thing. He's got no respect from most people, but can't accept the respect that he gets from the people he gets it from. Like he he thinks that all of the anybody being nice to him for any period of time is is some sort of manipulation or a lie Mm -hmm. yeah my again coming into this without any background about what hector as a character is like before this movie as a comic figure and not a movie figure my question watching this was how much of that that paranoia that you're talking about how much of that inability to believe the nice things people say to him and how much of that i could have been so much better if not for Hal or my father or the sun coming up that one day was because of who he is as a person and how much of that is because of parallax messing with him if parallax is supposed to be the embodiment of fear i feel like the biggest fear is not being able to trust anything outside of yourself. So he wouldn't be able to trust those nice things other people are saying because he can't think those nice things about himself. He wouldn't be able to trust that anyone could find him attractive because he doesn't find himself attractive. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I I like that analysis of it a lot. Um, Because this version of Hector Hammond is a pretty much completely completely different version of the character. Mm Mm-hmm. In the comics, his origins have no particular connection to Parallax or to the notion of fear being like his defining characteristic. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has uh, he's just hyper evolved by aliens, and he actually is a very confident character in the comics. He was like a like a rich inventor, and like he actually was sort of a handsome dude uh, <laughs> before his weird incident made his head blow up and he can't move anymore. His thing that came along after the Jeff Johns reboot was that um, Hector is, like, basically in love with Hal Jordan. He is Hal's biggest fan, mm-hmm. and he his motivation a lot of the time is he wants to get Hal's trust so that he can share his memories with him. He wants to experience Hal Jordan's life through his telepathy. So this version of the character has really very little in common with, with that mm-hmm. one, and... This one, I think, speaks much better to the themes of the film, and I think they did something kind of cool with him, where they used sort of um, an anti-Hal, somebody who's very skilled but not appreciated, whereas Hal is very skilled and maybe overvalued. 
he bankrupts, he basically risks bankrupting the company, and he still can't manage to quite get fired. Yeah. Um, I guess Carl was going to fire him before Carol stepped in on his behalf, but um, Hal keeps getting second chances, and um, Hector never seems to get a first chance, and the one that he gets that he really feels like, finally someone's accepted my value he finds out that he only got the opportunity to study the first alien found on Earth because his father's a senator, and so it doesn't even get to be his victory. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like they were setting up, like, a whole different villain arc. Like, they were setting him up to be, like, a different villain, maybe for a different movie. Um, But then they killed him. So, and because they, obviously, they, he wasn't being set up entirely for a different movie because he has the whole seed of parallax is the reason that he's gets all uh, telepathic. Uh, but, I don't know, it seems like his his path to darkness is not that related to the way they're going, but they also couldn't have just distant space entity as the main antagonist for the entire thing without having some sort of avatar on Earth, because how are you going to have any conflict with that for the first 70 minutes? But yeah, I mean, I think that the direction they were going with him, if they had a different source of powers for him, he could have been an interesting antagonist for a different Green Lantern movie. The movie very much wants to play up the idea of, of some sort of parallel story between the two of them. Uh, I think that pushes it very hard without really making it work. Um, the scene where Hal first charges his ring and says the oath is intercut with the scene where um, Hector gets infected by the parallax juice. They're, mm-hmm. they, they're they're cross-cut together like we're supposed to find some parallel in their transformations or to, to I guess, look at the at the way that they go off in different directions. And then later on, when Hal is doing his training, we get to watch um, Hector t- sort of deteriorate. But I don't feel like that works at all because they don't have enough in common for the two stories to speak to one another very well. So it's not as if you're looking at these two people who could have been, who, who had a lot in common and then went off in two different directions. It really just starts as, it really just seems like two completely separate stories that through editing are meant to speak to one another, but they don't, they don't work quite that well. They're not talking to each other. Yeah, I totally agree. Like for the diverging of the paths to have any significance, you have to kind of have them together and watch them break apart because without that, it's just like, oh, this guy is sad and angry, and he stays that way. And this guy is confident and believes he is doing good things and also ends up doing good things. And I mean, obviously there are bumps around the, along the path, and Hal has his doubts and his troubles, but they're, they're going kind of in the same trajectory we saw them. Like, it's what we would have expected, I guess, for both of them. The only thing I would say to that is I feel like what they were trying to do and probably didn't very successfully manage it. But the idea of outside forces having more of an impact on your life than your, your initial choice seemed to be where those two stories were trying to go where like Hector is a victim of, of circumstance. He doesn't get to have any agency, but really how doesn't have all that much agency for the majority of the first half of the movie either. Things just kind of happen to him too. He, his biggest moments of agency are when he nearly kills himself twice in the first half an hour of the movie. Everything for Hector hinges on his father, who was a terrible figure in his life, 
and everything for Hal hinges on his father, who is almost like, almost some divine figure in his life who dies when Hal is very young and is just put on a pedestal that Hal can never reach. The same way that Hector can ever reach the pedestal his father is on. The only difference being, I don't think Hector wants that pedestal the same way that Hal does. Those are some very interesting themes that come across that I, I don't think that I caught up on at all, so that's very interesting to hear. Um, I, what I was going to say, and I think maybe I maybe I, I don't feel that way anymore after hearing you talk about that, is I was going to say that as cliched as it is, it may have been helpful for Hal and Hector to have had an established amicable relationship before their transformations. So you could have sort of a closer, more obvious um, starting point for the two of them to share, but when, but when, now that we've, you know, that you've, you've dug into it for us, Christina, it really does seem like they have a lot more in common than it seems on face value, and that they're, the parallels of their story are actually are actually more strong than I had given the movie credit for. So that's that's very interesting. Well, <laughs> I feel happy now. <laughs> We're talking about think, green, we're talking about the movie Green Lantern. There can be no more happy. <laughs> I think really the biggest problem with this movie is it had characters with the same name and the same basic backgrounds as characters that already existed in the world and just changed them a lot. Like if I had known who these characters were and had any idea of what I was expecting when I went into that movie, I'm sure it would have been an incredibly different experience for me. But they were no those names meant nothing to me before I saw the movie. So I had no image in my head of Hector being a slight like a suave, successful person. I just had an image in my head of this very pitiable man. And I they did a really good job of making me feel really bad for him up until the point where he's kidnapping ladies and trying to poison them. I should say that I think this movie actually, I don't mean to give you the impression as a long-time comics reader that, that there were offensive changes made. Um, this actually is the closest to source material that any DC Comics-based movie has been since Superman the movie in 1979. Uh, with, the, with the exception of Hector and the sort of exception of Parallax, who in this film is sort of a combination of the Mad Guardian Krona, who, like in this film, was a member of the Guardians of the Universe who got power-hungry and took on more than he could handle and became this weird god. Um, and the Parallax Parasite, from the story we mentioned earlier, Hal Jordan is totally Hal Jordan. He's, he's definitely the character that we recognize from the comics. Most of the Green Lanterns we meet are are the, the spitting image, both visually and, and character-wise, of the people in the comics. And while it's not based on any one story directly from the Green Lantern comics, it does draw from a lot of influences, both recent and mostly recent, but also from, from uh, the stories that those stories are based on from the 60s and 70s. So in the end, I don't know that the comic, comic that straying from comic influences hurt the movie. I, I think that maybe it might actually have benefited from straying a little further from the source material in some ways. Uh, the characters... The, the, the idea of Green Lantern is very... It's one of the most... This is to use the deadly phrase comic booky of <laughs> any major superhero characters. This is a guy with basically a magic wish-fulfilling ring. That the, uh, the And then what makes it interesting is the visual element of what you can do with it on the comics page. And I don't think that that 
looked good or seemed really believable in the world of the film. I will give the movie credit on this point. Hal makes things that aren't fists or nets, and I gotta say, that's that's a vast improvement over most Green Lantern stuff I read. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, are, is this the part where we talk about the CGI? Cause... Let's, let's do it. Let's jump into it. So, can I just say off the bat that Hal Jordan's eyeballs terrify me <laughs> when he has the Green Lantern mask on. Which, by the way, couldn't they have just paid 99 cents for a domino mask and just, like, make it glue that to his face instead of... I don't know. But, like, yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to judge CGI because things move so fast, so everything just seems like such garbage one year later, even. But, I don't know, I feel like it was pretty... It was relied on heavily, which I guess you'd kind of have to in a Green Lantern movie. But I just don't think, it, even for its time, it was that great. This movie came out the same year as Thor, has a lot of stuff in common with Thor. It has the, the Earth plot and the space plot, and it has aliens and it has normal people, and it juxtaposes those two things against each other. This movie's made at the same time. Thor looks great. Thor still looks great. Yeah. Green Lantern looks like a weird video game with yeah. live-action cutscenes. Thor yeah. also somehow snagged Kenneth Branagh, though, so good for them. But yeah, um, Christina, you were talking. Sorry. No, I'm just agreeing hardcore. That is the one aspect that I cannot find a, a thing to try and counter that argument with because I agree. Like, it, it, no. <laughs> They're not feel, very good. <laughs> doesn't it feel like two movies? You have this very poor, like, darkly lit Earth story that where, where things are sort of like, like, industrial feeling, like, it's like warehouses and laboratories and like damp alleys and dark lit bars. Yeah, and like some like lonely scientist guy getting like progressively lumpier and like more horrifying, like in his own little dark lab. Like that could definitely be its own story. And then this other movie is this really brightly lit cosmic adventure that we only get a peek of. But it really the two movies they don't look good together. And they seem totally separate from one another. And Maybe that's a result of the fact that one of them was shot on Earth and the other was shot in green screen land, 100%. <laughs> and the, the, the world of the Earth-type parts, the Coast City parts of the movie, feel... I was, I was watching this on my, on my computer monitor and I could not see a damn thing. It was so dark and, and so, like, just just very dimly lit, very, like... I can't think of the right word. Bleak. It was just super go. bleak, which also confuses me because isn't that supposed to be like Central California? That's not yeah. what Central California looks like <laughs> at all. I I don't know if they've ever been to Central California, but that's that's <laughs> not it. Well, I mean, you've got to prove that you got to prove that your Green Lantern is capable of fighting in Darkest Night, and so they just <laughs> decided they were going to go with it all the way. They should have gone a little bit more, like, Northern California. There should have been some Redwoods or something then. What a more brightest day for you. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's just baffling about that is, like, um, this director, Martin Campbell, mm-hmm. uh, he doesn't have, like, an amazing reputation as a director, but he did make one of my favorite movies ever, which is Casino Royale. Really? Um, this is the same guy? He directed Casino Royale. He also directed Goldeneye, which is another big favorite James Bond movie. Yeah. But those are both, for the James Bond uh, series at least, pretty, like, gritty, down-to-earth action movies. 
uh, that are heavy on the like uh, Casino Royale is very heavy on the on the character drama, and it's very it's not fanciful at all. Um, when they need to like refresh the James Bond series, like they they brought Martin Campbell on after Die Another Day, which is the computer generated mess of a goofy Bond movie that everybody hates. And they said, we're starting again with a new Bond, and we need to show them that we can get down to Earth and do dark light and do scenes in black and white and uh, and have no gadgets or really do things in a very different, more um, more just sort of spy thriller way rather than a major big adventure. Um, they got they called Martin Campbell, and he made Casino Royale. And Casino Royale does manage to be fun and does manage to be realistic at the same time and has great character work and great visuals, but... There's nothing in that movie or in Goldeneye or, or um, he also did two Zara movies that I, I think I might cover here on the show because Zora is sort of superhero. Um, Definitely. No Zora, no Batman. Absolutely. Yep. Um, those those movies have nothing in common with this movie. This was trying to be this was this was half space adventure, and yeah. it, it doesn't it doesn't feel right. It, it just it's almost to the point where it feels like someone was like, "Hey, Marty, like we we love what you're doing." But we need more comic book. And he's like, how much comic book do you want? And they were like, all of it. And then he did that for <laughs> half the movie. I can see the reason for wanting to visually make Earth look so much less exciting than space. If our main character is a man who spent the majority of his life trying to be above the Earth. And now he gets to actually be like beyond the Earth. But even still, like it was like looking at something almost psychedelic. And it just didn't didn't seem real in comparison with Earth. And if your space is where your big bad is coming from, that has to be feel real, too. Otherwise, your threat's not real. Parallax, in space, he looks ridiculous. He's a weird floating head that apparently, like, when we first see him and he's bound in that sort of green, like, sort of amber prison, he's got yeah. arms and legs. Right, because he used to be oh. a guardian, so he's got a humanoid form. And as soon as he breaks out of it, we never see those arms and legs again. He is just a head with a weird, endless stream of whoosh going behind him. He looks fucking terrible. <laughs> if they had used the crazy, crazy yellow bug design from Green Lantern Rebirth that had that turned off so many fans, I wasn't one of them, by the way. One of the people who was really unhappy with Parallax at the time. I dug it. Now I think it's kind of lame. But if they had done that. That would at least have been scary and cool and otherworldly. And instead, we got a weird floating head. And it just does not work. And it works even worse once he gets to Earth. Mm, I have yeah. a yes and a no on that, too, though. I think there are moments when it looks terrible. Like, so bad. I admit, I really like this movie. But even still, I have to look away every once in a while because I'm like, I thought somebody actually did that. I'm sorry, but it reminded me so strongly at other times of Hexus from Fern Gully. Oh my that, god! Like, I remember you saying that? Yeah, I just I couldn't get the the image of like space Hexus out of my head when I was watching it. So there were moments when I was like, I could see Tim Curry being yeah, Hexus it- out in space. Can we get a reboot this. with Tim Curry? That would have made this movie so much better. Like, <laughs> the, this movie could really have used a little bit of hamminess because yeah. the concept of the movie is so weird and, and like, 
so like magical and otherworldly the fact that it didn't have any moments aside from like hal being like you're a fish person there's no in the mask moment in the mask moment but there's not a lot of whimsy to the movie and if you had just a little bit more of it even just tim curry is the voice of parallax Oh my god! How how much more fun would this movie have been? And it and having that element of goofy might actually have helped to make the movie be taken more seriously. If it's, I think so. Well, I feel like they were almost ready to lean in that direction with the racetrack saving thing, uh, the Hot Wheels track, but they didn't lean into it hard enough. And actually, I was just thinking about this. Maybe one of the reasons that the movie looks so strangely divided this is like the chinese democracy of movies because <laughs> it was first supposed to go into production in like what 1997 and then it just kind of getting pushed back and pushed back and i think martin campbell didn't come on to like years later so maybe there was just like a bunch of stuff already sitting on the table sorry for the slight sidetrack i just thought of that no i mean this yeah, is I... important to talk about i mean green lantern is a movie that for a long time we figured was never really going to get made and actually that was a joke like at every step of the at every step of the development of this movie my friends who knew i was a green lantern fan would be like oh hey looks like they're coming along with the green lantern movie it's like yeah i will believe it when when there is an actual full theatrical trailer I will believe this movie is coming out when they're when when it when it's out basically, yeah. um, because it didn't seem like something they would ever want to do. Um, there were a number of weird um, attempts to sort of pitch the movie in the past. Uh, Jeff Johns, the comic book writer who ended up being very involved in this making of this movie and as well as the comics that came before it and after, right up until last year, um, he pitched Green Lantern to Warner Brothers. I think in the early two thousands before Batman Begins, and. Hmm. He pitched the idea to them that basically was this movie, and they said, that's interesting. Do you think we could do it without the power ring? (laughs) Really? Which is as if to say, we like your idea for this movie. Can we make a different movie and call it this movie? (laughs) They just want to make lame Top Gun? Like, what's... And then there was... Then there was an idea that had come out that they would make sort of a movie like The Mask that would be about a character that would have been played by, like, Jack Black who was just an oh everyday God. guy who got the ring and then just wreaked havoc and did all kinds of crazy stuff with it before eventually becoming a, super, becoming a superhero. And oh. the fan backlash against that idea was so like violent that they immediately took it back and said, oh, no, no, we weren't really serious about that idea. And now I really wish we had gotten that movie. Huh. Not because this movie is so unsatisfying, although for, for me it is, because that now sounds like a really fun movie, and I think that just because it's not like the comics isn't necessarily a reason to not make it. And because it would have been more like my favorite Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner, who is a graphic artist, and kind of um, that doesn't really have any type of discipline whatsoever. I mean, even like Hal Jordan here is not a disciplined character, but in the comics, at least he was in the Air Force. He got discharged for punching a dude, but like he's he's got a certain sort of mentality that you would expect from a maybe like a, a cocky pilot. Whereas Kyle Rayner is just a guy. Um, he's up. He is in his own description um, a manga nut with a power ring, and where Hal Jordan would. Um, would make a, a fist or a plane or a gun, Kyle Rayner would make a giant robot dinosaur with his own logo on it and then tromp through town. <laughs> and that is a much more fun movie to me. Huh. That would be a more <laughs> a more fun movie. But I think this was DC's 
dipping its toe in the pool of fun and they're like oh no that was actually not what we wanted we're sorry we take it back and here's thanks- another batman <laughs> <laughs> and thanks to the failure of this movie financially they will never try this again we will no. get Zack snyder and david goyer's grim horrible bloody universe of dc forever now because they tried to dip their foot in Funland and they got eaten by piranhas I mean, it's like when you go swimming in a really cold pool. If you just dip your foot in it, it's not going to be fun. You have to just jump in the whole... You just have to jump in. They just need to jump in and make a fun movie. There they, should, ugh, they should make a, a Nightwing movie is what I'm getting at. I would love to see a Nightwing movie. I would show for a Nightwing movie. <laughs> I can't imagine a better DC movie that I would want right now. I'm trying to think. That's one they might even make, too. Yeah. Because they can put Batman in the trailer, so... Joseph Gordon-Levitt, anyone? <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt, anyone? I've heard yes. that they wanted to have Adam Driver play Nightwing in Batman vs. Superman. I don't know who that is. I'm going to Google. I don't think he's pretty enough to play Nightwing. I I mean, there are very few people who are pretty enough to play Nightwing, if we're going to be honest. One of them is a Winter Soldier, so he can't do it. Oh, yeah, Sebastian Stan could have done the job. But there were there were other attempts to make Green Lantern as well, and there were people who wanted to make a Green Lantern starring uh, John Stewart, which is a, another Green Lantern character not related to the oh, Daily man. Show host. That would have that would have been cool because first of all, there are no there's presently I think uh, two movies uh, starring where a, a black superhero is the main role. Uh, in one of them is Hancock, which is an original character and a movie that a lot of people don't like, and the other one is Steel. Starring uh, Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, you have the Blade movies too, but yeah. But it would have been cool. Um, and also, John Stewart's an early, a really cool, very different character. And then you know he was a Marine and an architect, and he has an entirely different um, sort of state of mind when it comes to being Green Lantern. Because unlike Hal, who's not disciplined at all, uh, John Stewart, at least his recent interpretations, is very disciplined. Yeah, and I would love to see Idris Elba as John Stewart. Listen, we'd like to see him play. Yeah. He's an amazing. Yeah. Actor. Although you know yeah. who I'd love to see play Guy Gardner is Patrick Warburton. That's what oh I want. Oh my god! Okay, he's <laughs> too old now, but based on his performance as the Tick, he could have made a great Guy Gardner. I know. <laughs> I actually maybe I just... think somebody louder than him though. Maybe yeah, probably. Oh, God, I'll think about this. But what were we talking about? Um, the different lanterns. Okay, I wasn't yeah. too far off. I, would, um, you know, I wanted to see one with... Uh, if, if this movie had gone on, if this had been a success and they would have made more, we probably would have been introduced to another Green Lantern each film. Um, we probably would have seen Jon Stewart in the next movie, and we probably would have eventually gotten Kyle Rayner, or maybe even, but probably not, Jenny Lynn Hayden. Um, yeah, they were definitely setting up sequels, it looks like. I mean, you've got the Sinestro making the yellow power ring at the very end, yeah. so they're clearly yeah. trying to start something up, but unfortunately... Let's talk about Sinestro. Purple Mark Strong. Mark Strong plays Sinestro, and for my money, that's one of the best pieces of superhero movie casting ever. Yes. And what a waste. Uh, he He's perfect. He is perfect as Sinestro. He is... He's a little bit scary... But he's also got like this captainly kind of thing to him, where he's he's like this leader, and he's very magnetic. Uh, he he sells to me somebody who's who's utilitarian, and who thinks of himself as a big hero. Mm-hmm. And we don't get to see him do anything shitty in this movie until the tacked on, completely throwing away his character arc from the movie post credit scene. Yeah, but Sinestro is the finest Green Lantern. Everyone admires him. He's great. We don't see it much of it in this movie, although we can see 
shades of this sort of brutal character in him. He, Mm -hmm. in the comics, in the background, he essentially uses his powering eventually to become a fascist ruler of his planet. Yeah, like, not to be the guy who gets angry about everything that ever happens to a Green Lantern villain in the movies, but oh my god, Sinestro's fall arc would have been so great to see, and instead they just, they in trying to set up a sequel, they ruined that sequel by by having him forge the yellow ring, like, right then and there. I had been, I had hoped that if they made a sequel, that they would put that scene that happens after the credits, where Sinestro, after having his faith in willpower and the core reaffirmed and vocalizing that reaffirmation to Hal Jordan and basically saying, thank you, now I know why we didn't, now I know how great it is that we didn't resort to using a yellow ring and harness and giving in to fear and doing all this horrible stuff. He then decides, oh, fuck it. I'll, I'll <laughs> yeah. put it on. Yeah. I'll become yeah. the bad guy. Do you want to handle the, uh, the yeah, description of the fall of Sinestro, so in case our listeners don't know? Sinestro um, was a the, maybe the best Green Lantern before Hal Jordan came up and became the everyone's favorite. He had his ring stripped from him when the Guardians, who are much more benevolent in the comics, at least classically, than they are here, where they kind of don't give a shit about anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, they said, hey, you know, you really can't use the ring to rule people. You're just supposed to protect them. And he's like, I am protecting them. Look how safe everybody is. And they're all terrified. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, he, and so they take his ring away, but then he's offered a new ring. Um, a ring that through years and years of retcons is really powered is powered by fear um and his ability to induce it in others and he then builds his own core which he names after himself the sinestro core of people (laughs) wielding yellow rings basically trying to bring order to the universe at at the cost of all humanity of just being of, of of ruling through fear because he knows that that is what will ultimately bring order but Nobody wants to live that way, so he, uh, you know, he he rules with an iron fist, and he makes war with the Green Lanterns, and um, he becomes their greatest enemy when he was once their brightest star. But so basically, this guy has decided that for the greater good, he must be the greater evil. Sort of. He even takes that like really far, and one of the he realize, and uh, we we discover that one of the reasons why he's making war against the Green Lanterns is to make the Green Lanterns stronger. I, 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 I love the face heel turn. That's my the thing. Face heel turn. When you have a good character and they go so bad. It's a uh. wrestling term, and you can read all about <laughs> wrestling terms like that on Deadshirt.net's biweekly column in this very ring by Dominic Griffin. The incomparable <laughs> Dominic Griffin. So check out. Go to Deadshirt.net. Look for in this very ring, and in the very first, a very first installment of that column, you will learn about the face heel turn. <laughs> Synergy. Synergy, guys. <laughs> So, um, a couple more things that I would want to talk about in this movie. We haven't talked about Carol at all. Um, mm-hmm. The movie didn't really burn. Um, did either of you get a strong impression out of Carol? I know that Christina, you really like this movie. So, what do you, what do you what did you get anything positive vibe out of uh, out of uh, Carol Ferris? There's some really good aspects of Carol, and there's some kind of problematic aspects of Carol. I really appreciate the fact that. They have her on equal footing with Hal. She's just as good a flyer. She's just as competent in her... She's probably more competent at her job than he is, to be honest. Because she's not blowing up planes on accident. She's intelligent. She's poised. She is still, like, allowed to be a woman. So, I appreciate all those things. I appreciate 
a lot that in that scene where the helicopter is crashing and going to hit all these people at that cocktail party, the first person who reacts in a an intelligent way that's going to try and help everybody else is Carol. We cut from the helicopter falling to Carol on her cell phone calling in backup to try and get a rescue crew and... Um, and I think she's asking for a rescue crew and an ambulance because the chopper is going to fall on people and everybody else just stands around screaming. So I appreciate that they give her the bravery and the intelligence that a woman in her position, anyone in her position, would have to have to be able to be a, a pilot the way that she is. You would have to be able to make that kind of a quick decision. On the other hand, it bothers me a lot that they give her a moment where she can be in the spotlight. She can do something heroic in her own right, even if she's not the hero of the movie. And then immediately have her pass out and faint on a flight of stairs. Yeah. Like, she dives like, to get her father out of danger, and then she gets knocked over by some asshole. So we see her. Yeah. She's trying to she's trying to do the heroic thing because she's, she's that kind of person. She would do it. And she gets, and she gets knocked down and then basically passes out. Yeah, she's just like, oh, I'm on the floor. I might as well sit here. Oh, no. The chopper is still falling. Oops. Well, you have to have a scene in your superhero movie where the superhero picks up an unconscious woman, right? That's that's the rules. Uh, apparently. It has to be in all of them. It is written yeah. down somewhere, I'm sure. This is the 11th episode of a podcast where I talk about superhero movies, and I'm telling you, it's a universal law. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, I got nothing. Uh... You know, she does get the mask line we talked about earlier, which is, for my money, perhaps my favorite meta line in the history of superhero movies. <laughs> you think I can't recognize you because I can't see your your cheekbones? I've seen you <laughs> naked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good on you. Yeah, I mean, she's presented to us as a very competent person, and... I appreciate that, and I appreciate that even within the context of the movie, the fact that she's not a prop, but she is a figure who gets to make a choice is something that's actually, like, vocalized. Hal and Hector have, I mean, admittedly, it's a conversation over her unconscious floating body, which is another problematic thing, but their whole conversation is about the fact that neither one of them gets to quote unquote, get the girl. She gets to decide. And I appreciate, despite the fact that again, she's an unconscious floating body at that point, at least the characters within the movie acknowledge the fact that she has agency, even if that particular scene is working to disprove that. Carol is also sort of Hal's boss too, which, which adds another layer to it. She's gonna going to be taking over the company, and she already outranks Hal, and is perfectly comfortable superseding the sitting CEO's firing. Um, yeah. After mm-hmm. Hal is justly fired, Carol unfires him in about half a second. She's taking over. This is her business, and so she's going to be. She's going to have the last word, and nobody other than Hal, when he's a dick really ever challenges her on a decision about anything that's kind of cool yeah she's got authority yeah yeah and i do think that i didn't even think about it that way but that does kind of lend a little bit of extra credence to their relationship in the movie the fact that they would kind of have a thing for each other because 
she kind of instills all this fear in other people not to come back to fear. Um, and everyone's kind of just automatically deferential to her because of her position, because of her father, and because of everything. And Hal isn't. And that's probably one of the main attractors for her with him, even though it can be really infuriating too, I'm sure. <laughs> There are other there are other characters in this movie, and there are actually a decent number of characters who just don't get a lot of screen time. Um, Amanda Waller, played by Angela yes. Bassett in this movie, and I mean that's fine casting, but there is only one Amanda Waller, and that's CCH Pounder. Yeah, I don't like when Amanda Waller is anything less than like I don't know thirty eight inch waist. Yeah, I like I just like wall sized Amanda Waller. I enjoy that as a, as a thing. And she's mercifully not killed off. It looked like she's going to be, but they have to set her up for future movies not to not make. Yeah. No, I was going to be really upset if they killed her off. Um, but no, I liked Amanda Waller. Or Yeah, sorry, I'm looking at her name, um, the actress's name. But no, I like Amanda Waller in this movie a lot. But I, again, I didn't know who she was. I was very new to DC at this point, pretty much... All that I knew of DC was Batman. but So I didn't know who Amanda Waller was as a figure and before this movie. This movie was my introduction to her. And she comes across as a very confident, very driven person who we don't get any context outside of aliens crash land on Earth and they call me for her character. But she handles that situation as best you can as any as best as any person could if they don't have a little magic green ring well i guess we got tom kumaku who doesn't really matter in the movie he's the best friend character who gets the bad jokes the <laughs> bad jokes that are so bad that even uh green lantern can't say them because <laughs> i have this in my notes i just want to make sure i don't neglect to say this Hal's not smooth Hal says <laughs> things like he has he has all of like the the Hal, whatever sort of reputation he has, I mean, we're, we're given the idea that he's, he gets around a lot. He is getting by entirely on his looks because he says things like, you look pretty. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like that. <laughs> a poet you are not, sir. I think that, that touches on what we were talking about earlier about how he's not Robert Downey Jr., about how Ryan Reynolds gets by and, like, his charm is an awkward one. That is his <laughs> thing. And so it doesn't really work well when you're trying to be an awkward asshole because then you just seem like an awkward asshole. Uh, and, but I do, I don't know, I like when he's being awkward and unsmooth. And I apologize that I've interrupted your point because I am awkward and unsmooth. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a lot we could talk about, you and I, Cam, about being awkward and unsmooth. But <laughs> you, can't have, you can't have it both, I feel like you can't, you can't have all of these things work for you. You can't have it that he's this that people treat him like he's smooth uh, to a degree, but uh, I guess not. Uh, ignore me. We'll cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of see what you're saying, though, where, like, people are like, oh, you're so smooth, Hal. You're so good with the ladies, and he's just like, ah, and then somehow just someone ends up in his bed. And, like, I don't know. He, he says things like the, um, like the, hey, it looks nice, and, like, no, I was talking about your dress kind of thing. It's like everything that you say that's supposed to be charming which is horribly cliche and lame and yeah, if you weren't built like, like Ryan Reynolds no one would talk to you 
Yeah, that's what I would say, but with an with an obvious like I don't mean it like this is really cheesy. Like that's not smooth. No, I. (laughs) You were talking. I definitely agree. It's not. It's not smooth at all. To be honest, though, or I guess not to be honest, but to be fair, the only person who kind of insinuates that he is a smooth operator is Hector. But we see him waking up in the first two seconds of the movie. Well, I mean, not two seconds. Two seconds on Earth. Waking up in bed next to a naked, beautiful woman. But I think Hal's awkwardness is part of what is supposed to let us know that he is not the cocky, confident, fearless individual that he's trying to present himself as. He's very obviously full of fear because he can't even get the words out of his mouth to say that you look nice tonight. But I would argue that the idea of him having a well-constructed facade of being cocky and all that jazz would include a certain level of smoothness so that that way we can actually have it juxtaposed with how he's totally awkward around Blake Lively's character, Carol, and that would be an interesting thing. But I think that I think that I, I get what Dylan's getting at, where the idea of we can't treat him as someone with a facade of perfection and cockiness and self-assuredness while he's still outwardly and unabashedly awkward, if that makes sense. I'm kind no, of coming around sure. to this now, though. I'm kind of coming around to Christina on this now, where it's the idea <laughs> I see how it is. is that he's actually... <laughs> I just want to undercut everything you say, Cam, because I have a good time doing it. Oh, well, we should date. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, maybe that that sort of thing is what makes him unique from a character like Tony Stark. He's not nearly as smooth as he thinks he is, whereas Tony Stark is 100% as smooth as they think he is. And he has to sort of, maybe he does skate by on his looks, and he wants to have the cleverness that people expect to come with this sort of cool guy persona, but he doesn't have it, and that maybe goes into his sort of put on the fearless, completely cocky facade that we know isn't true because we get there in the movie that we know that he's not really 100% that guy Uh, maybe the fact that he's actually not so funny and that his jokes mostly don't land and he's not really more clever than any of us in the audience that could all be intentional rather than just oh they didn't write him well enough as a funny guy for us to find him funny that could very well just be his appeal yeah, I think part of the problem, I think that, I think that is meant to be part of his appeal. I think part of the flaw in their execution of it is we only see him interact with two women who are not family members, and one of them is Carol, and the other woman has no lines. She just sits up in a bed. So we don't know if he's, I mean, the line that he says, there's uh, dot, 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 water in the tap. Like, that's awkward, that's not smooth, but we don't know if that's the entirety of how he's interacted with this woman, or if that other woman did find that charming. Like, oh, such a silly man, you know? Like, our only window into how he flirts is when he flirts with Carol, who, again, is his boss, is someone he's dated in the past, is probably somebody he, at least in some ways, feels deferential to, but then... On the other hand, he let her get shot in a dogfight. <laughs> so, he's kind of like, he doesn't quite know what to do with himself. 
I, I guess I see what you're saying there. I mean, I guess my point of view was if he's worked so hard to construct this facade of fearlessness, then the awkwardness, the outward awkwardness would be uh, a point against it. But I guess I'm seeing your argument where, yeah, sure, he'd like to not have that outward awkwardness, but I mean, may as well own it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get some final thoughts from you guys before we, before we call it a night. First, I'd like to throw in a couple of bits of bad science. <clears throat> good, um, good. This isn't. This is a science fiction movie by a really big stretch of what science fiction is. We're dealing with a basically magic ring, so physics don't necessarily have to be correct. But <laughs> I just want to put this out there: um, objects with larger mass do not fall faster towards the sun. <laughs> that is that is incorrect. Um, it, it's the same as it would be here on Earth. If you drop two objects, they both fall. Not it, with discounting wind resistance and air resistance and other resistance, which would not exist in space to begin with. Gravity's they, pretty hard, bro. They are going to fall at the same rate. So the ending of this movie is based on bad physics. Um, also, um, why the, the 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 scale of this universe is ridiculous. Tomari, who we didn't even talk about because who cares? Um, <laughs> voiced by Jeffrey Rush, they did his voice after everything else was shot. So course none of the performances are going to be dynamic or interesting uh tomar's sector cons- comprises of eighty thousand galaxies Jesus. galaxies yeah. each yeah. green lantern is responsible for an unimaginable amount of space what how big does a problem have to be for a green lantern to get involved because there are un, there's unbelievable number of planets the scale there's a massive amount of space that you have to cover you don't think maybe they could pick a couple more people they've got 3600 green lanterns uh, going over a universe that's unfathomably large and earth has like 8 of them um, that would be that would even make sense in this context because you really need more of them. They're horribly it, understaffed. It's just um, like wake up when Darkseid shows up. Like, and yet, and yet, when Sinestro's squadron goes to take down Parallax on quote on the edge of the Milky Way galaxy, they are two sectors away. So make up your fucking minds. Hey, either two sectors each sector, could be pretty far. Either each sector comprises a bunch of galaxies, or a galaxy is split up into a couple of sectors. You cannot do both of those. Maybe dude who's the fish guy whose name I'm forgetting. Um, what's Tomar. his name again? Yes. Maybe he's just really good at his job and they gave him <laughs> an extra sector. Wait, I got it. Sector. It's like it's like an electoral college kind of thing, like House of Representatives, <laughs> right? So yeah. like maybe his like 80,000 galaxies are like very sparsely populated. There's like seven planets with two guys on them apiece and like Earth, seven billion people is super weird, and that's why we get. Maybe it's like one guardian per billion people, <laughs> billion sentient beings. There, okay. boom. That was. I said my piece. That really frustrated me because it just seems like the job of a Green Lantern is fucking impossible. Okay. Yeah, I'll, like, I'll give you that. Just, just Earth could use twelve of these guys, and in the comics they get it right, but eighty thousand galaxies and yeah. it's established that they're all pretty firm pretty densely populated so ugh, fucking yeah. stupid um, for airing grievances i have one massive issue with this movie we have a flashback and there's a 10 year old child 
on the runway with <laughs> fighter planes by himself and no one is like we should probably stop this kid as he runs to a burning plane with his dad on fire and about to explode nope he should Still be dead. thing well we yeah. have to establish earlier that no one cares about hell jordan <laughs> apparently don't stop him before he does something stupid just <laughs> reprimand him after he does it yeah just, just wait and see if it looks real cool Oh, okay. yeah. The Hell Jordan story. Anything else we want to say before we call it a night? Uh, let's see. I whined about Parallax. I whined about Sinestro. I think I'm set. <laughs> okay. Well, where can our listeners find you guys and your and any work that you guys are doing up on the internet? Uh, hmm. I uh, I was recently published in V23 magazine. Uh, the summer issue, the summer tw- 2014 issue of that has two of my short stories in it. Uh, you can also find some of my work intermittently at deadshirt.net, and you can find me at Twitter uh, at StopGrammarTime. Christina, what's up? I don't have anything that's up on the internet now. Keep you posted on that, but my Twitter is SpellChristina, and aside from that right now... Okay, Christina, by the way, is it SpellChristina one word, or is it Spell underscore, underscore Christina? I can never remember. Um, I believe it's spell Christina, spell underscore Christina. Well, we'll put it in the show notes as well for people to find. Okay. Well, and I want to thank both of you for, for joining me and for, for, uh, I, at least Cam for suffering through this movie with me. And Christina, <laughs> I'm glad I gave you an opportunity to watch a movie that you like. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And yeah. I'll yeah. have you guys both back sometime soon here on Supers on Screen. Man, as for you listeners... We'll be back next week to talk about DreamWorks' answer to The Incredibles, our very first supervillain movie of our podcast, Megamind. Dun, dun, dun. So that'll hopefully be a good time. Well, we'll see you next week, and, you know, in brightest day, don't make another one of these movies. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>